Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us for daily worship for the season of Lent and praise you for this Ash Wednesday. Some people think having ash on our forehead is ridiculous, but we are neither ashamed or afraid because of ashes remind us that we will someday pass away and reunite with my Creator and Redeemer. As you open your heart wise through your Son to us, help us open our hearts to you with humility and gratitude so that we can claim, you can claim our heart and everything in it as yours, Father. Dear Holy Spirit, enlighten us as we meditate on the blessed letter of Romans. May you who inspired the Apostle Paul to write this scripture now illuminate our minds to see how deeply, how widely, and how highly the Father has called us. All this we pray in the most beautiful name of our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me ask you a preliminary question to introduce our scripture today. Which letter is the most important in history? What is the most important letter in history? While many experts from different fields might suggest various letters, a majority of Christian biblical scholars and theologians and historians would say, they would say, the most important letter for Christianity is Paul's letters to Romans. The Romans, also the longest letter in the New Testament, was influential in conversions of significant Christians in history. For instance, Augustine came to conviction of sin and salvation after reading Romans 13.11, which says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Luther, Martin Luther, recovered his doctrine of salvation by faith alone from also Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. And then John Wesley, the founder of a Methodist church, felt his heart strangely warmed when he listening while listening to Luther's preface to Book of Romans. And John Bunyan was so inspired by this book that he wrote his classic Pilgrim's Progress. And my hero, Karl Barth, he left uh, liberal theology after studying the book of Romans, and his argument from this book deconstructed liberal theology. The importance of a book of Romans was widely recognized that New Testament scholars called it King of Pauline Epistles. By the way, do you know what is a Queen of Pauline Epistle? That is Ephesians. Uh, my favorite episode, actually. Another thing about the Romans that many preachers and pastors recognize is that the, it is a difficult, very difficult to interpret and thus preach. Unlike other New Testament letters, such as a Practical James, Passionate Corinthians, Elegant Ephesians, Instructive Pastoral Letters like a Titus, and the first and second Timothy, 
Romans seems to be dry, deep, and abstract, too theological. So seminary professors, including mine, have warned their students not to preach from Romans at least the first 10 years of their pastoral ministry. In one word, the book of Romans is intimidating to many pastors, including myself. I was hesitant to preach the Romans because either I felt I might become uh, too theological and lose your attentions, or I go to the other end and I might treat it too shallowly and do injustice to this masterpiece. So, here we are. May God have mercy on all of us. And uh, with that, let's read our first passage for Lent, Romans 1, verse 1 to 7. I am Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart from the gospel of God the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the longest salutation or letter opening among the older greetings in Paul's letters. From this unusually long greeting, we can sense both Paul's excitement and the solemnity or seriousness. The reason for that is that Paul has not met Roman Christians except the several people he mentioned in chapter 16. Church of Rome was not founded by Paul, either by any uh, apostles. We don't know who exactly founded Church of Rome. So unlike many Pauline letters, which Paul knew, almost everyone in the recipient churches, Paul was yet to visit the Church of Rome. So he was a kind of nervous, serious, and excited at the same time. In this greeting, we are going to focus on three things. Paul's identity and Jesus' identity and the identity of a Roman Christians. Sorry, Pastor Paul, I accidentally... So, in this greeting, we're going to focus on three things. Paul's identity and Jesus' identity and identity of a Roman Christians. Basically, following the uh, the uh, letters greeting, you know, back then letters greeting start with so and so, send greet so and so with whatever, you know. So these are all these are three identities are all closely related. You know, who I am is decided by who Jesus is. 
My personal identity and Christ's identity are actually inseparable. And this identity together also direct the way that I view other people and related myself to them. So first thing Paul talked about himself here is that he was servant of a Christ Jesus. Christ, a, I mean Paul, a servant of a Christ Jesus. What is the first thing you would say about yourself? Would you say, I am so-and-so's husband or wife or so-and-so's father or mother or so-and-so's daughter or son? The interesting thing about the Paul's self-introduction is that he expressed his personal relationship to Jesus before his official relationship, which is called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. As one commentator says, Paul could easily introduce himself as, quote, Paul, an eminent theologian, master of Hebrew scripture, frontline missionary for God's kingdom, and faithful and fruitful church planter, end quote. Instead, he called himself servant of Christ Jesus. The word he used for servant here was a doulos, not diakonos. While diakonos is a more official in a term for servant, from which we actually English word deacon, doulos is a term for common slave. Paul's number one self-understanding is that he wants to serve Jesus Christ. The first and foremost passion and desire of Paul's life is to serve Jesus. What is your number one passion and desire in life? In our Cornerstone Bible study, we asked this question after studying Luke chapter 15. That is, how do you know someone is truly born again? How do you know someone is truly born again? Do you remember the answer? You know, we say that someone who exhibits the heart of a forgiven prodigal. And what is a heart of a forgiven prodigal? The one who discovered his father's heart. Does he want to serve his father with gratitude? Likewise, a truly born-again Christian is someone whose first passion of a life is to serve God. You know, my first passion and identity is not Pastor Paul, but a slave of Jesus Christ. I want to serve Jesus as a slave and servant more than as pastor. I'm a slave first and the pastor second. And truly, if my pastorship does not express my servanthood to Christ or my slave, my, 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 my being a slave to Christ, I'm failing my you know, identity and my actual vocation. So let me ask you again, what is your number one identity and passion? Second, Paul describes the identity of a Jesus with two ways. Verse 3, regarding to his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and verse 4, who through the spirit of a holiness was appointed the Son of God in power of his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In Greek text, as to earth, earthly life means according to flesh, simply as according to flesh. And through the spirit of a holiness means 
according to the spirit. So according to foolish or according to flesh, katasarka, is that Jesus is a born of the seed of David according to the flesh. It means Jesus was a real, actual human being. He was not a mythical, you know, a, a per, mythical being or you know some kind of imagination or invention of uh, Christians. He well, he has a physical human body, and he was a Jewish man. Last week at the Texas Baptist Board meeting, I met a Palestinian American Baptist pastor, and one day I'm going to invite him to our church. He did not notice, but I was carefully studying his face because. I realized that Jesus probably looked like him, dark-skinned, with big eyes, and slightly bigger nose than usual. Jesus is a real, unique human being, just like you and me. And also, according to the Spirit, or katanuma in Greek, refers to the divine side of Jesus. By his resurrection, Jesus has gone from one mode of ex existence to another. Like the Holy Spirit, who creates a new life in Genesis as well as now, Christ created a new life for humanity through his death and resurrection. Here are some Pauline scholars think that though, uh, 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 here, the, though flesh is a neutral here in this case, but later, this contrast between the flesh and spirit, Paul was anticipating the uh, you know the antithesis between the flesh and the flesh as a sinful nature and spirit as a divine or sanctified nature in Paul's you know, letter in Romans eight, where Paul said those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on the flesh desire, and those who live according in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on the what spirit, spirit desires. So we must recognize that identity of a Jesus, this is a dual identity of Jesus, fully man and the fully human and fully divine is actually salvific identity to transform us and save us. This is what early Christian fathers repeatedly said in their writings, the Son of God became a Son of Man, so sons and daughters of a man can become sons and daughters of God. With the full humanity and full divinity of Jesus as a foundation of our faith, we are also called to transform our flesh with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Finally, Paul addresses his letter recipient, the Roman Christians, verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus. The most amazing aspect of Paul's life exhibited in this greeting is that the former mono-ethnic Jewish Pharisee and the kind of a nationalist, you know, nationalist, you know, rabbi, now serves who? The Gentiles, the Gentile Christians. 
I don't know if there is any more radical human social political transformation than this. A Pharisee became an apostle and preacher for Gentiles, let alone the Romans who colonized the Jewish people. This is a power of Jesus and his gospel that it not only reconciles us to God, but also reconciles sinners to each other. This is why we cannot sit idly with the only personal individual salvation, but always our experience of God's saving grace lead us to social transformation. I'm not talking about liberal social gospel here. Okay? I'm talking about personal spiritual social gospel. The social transformation comes out of a joy and gratitude to God's saving grace to sinner like me. You know, one of my heroes is a Japanese Christian named Tadao Yanaihara. He was a professor of economy at Tokyo Imperial University during the World War II. He actually protested against the war and Japanese colonization of China in Korea. As a result, you know, he lost his professorship, his job. And by the way, he, after World War II, he became the president of the same university. When Tadao Yanaihara visited Korea during the Japanese occupation, guess what he preached? He intentionally selected Romans chapter 1. And he encouraged the Korean Christians, saying that, don't let Japanese government define you as a colonizer. You are not conquered by powerful nation. We are ultimately ought to be conquered by Christ and Christ's love. And that's when we will live truly as uh, Koreans and Japanese, and that we can truly can glorify God as a particular citizen of a particular nation state in this world. Isn't that amazing? Tadao Yanaihara, you know, this uh, Japanese, you know, uh, Japanese Christian, he encouraged the, the, his uh, colonial counterparts that we are not colonizer and colonized. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we work together for the kingdom of God. That is the power of this gospel. And the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Romans is telling us. So I really believe this book is more relevant and more critical than any other time. But times like this. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much to become like one of us and much more transformed us in his flesh and life, overcoming our sin and death. Because he rose for all of us and forgave all of us and made a new life for all of us, Help us to serve one another. Help us to love you first. Help us others, even the Romans, whatever Romans in our life, 
as of brothers and sisters. Truly your love is our life, and your grace is what drives our desires and passion. In the most blessed name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.